I'm spinning in circles and talking to myself. Spinning in circles and talking to myself. Welcome to a new spin on autism. Answers with host and international speaker and performer, Lynette Louise. Besides working on her doctorate in psychophysiology, Lynette has raised eight children, six adopted, and four of them falling somewhere on the autism spectrum. Laugh with her, cry with her, as she talks to both experts and parents and takes you through the often confusing, sometimes frustrating, sometimes overwhelming, but always fascinating world of autism. Hello and welcome. This is a new spin on Autism Answers. I'm Lynette Louise, also known as The Brain Broad, and I am your story teacher host. Today's show's jam-packed with fun, but only one guest, because one guest is sometimes enough. For those of you who have seen the, um, the Showtime series Ray Donovan, which is, by the way, uh, starring Liev Scheiber and uh, John Boyd and has been nominated for a few Emmys, you will be excited to hear that we are going to have a cast member on today's show. Don't forget to stay to the very end, though. Don't just listen to our special guest and then take off. you got to stay to the very end where I will do stories from the road. And that's where... I will put it all together into a cool little story and make it all make sense. Because sometimes when you're just chatting, it gets a little confusing. But boy, oh boy, if you hang in with me to the very end, I do promise to give my very best to try and make it all be worthwhile. Okay, so for today's guest, I can't tell you what the answer is because I'm not really sure what our question is. What we're going to do is we're going to chat, 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 and somewhere inside of that discussion, we're going to find the question that I'm going to answer at the end of the show. And by the way, I really do feel right now like I'm a throwback to the 70s because the sock that I have over my microphone is... um, is actually a leg warmer from the 70s that I found in my drawer because I couldn't find the actual sock. So if it rubs and makes weird noises, I apologize. Just imagine Flashdance and you'll feel great. Okay, so today's Flashdance is a movie. What a great segue because today's guest is someone who gets into movies and he's an actor and he's very fancy and awesome. And he also has been on the show before. And he was on the show just before going to help with a talk event and now has a blog about autism and he has a new baby. We've got lots of things to talk about. So before I talk for too long, I just want to say hello to Jonathan Sheck and thank you for being willing to come back again. Of course. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm great. i got so my we little want... boy screaming upstairs. Oh, boy, it's okay. It's filtered out. We can't hear it. You must have a, a unidirectional mic, so you're good. <laughs> but even if we could hear it, and on this show, I mean, sometimes my son comes in and goes, mm, and, you know, we, we're used to it, so it's all good. So tell me, let's start with um, sort of an update. So last time we chatted, you were about to go to that event, and anybody who listened to you then probably wants to know how it went. So catch us up. So that, that was anti up with the talk about curing the autism talk, right? Right, and I was wanting it, to come and play poker with you, but unfortunately I was yes. elsewhere. So tell us all about it. it, was, it you know, that's, that's one of the um, biggest fundraising events out here in, uh, in California for autism, and I think we did incredibly well that night. Um, I don't know the numbers, but uh, it's always, always a good time for everyone to come out and, you know, <laughs> having a newborn um, makes everything heightened 
being part of uh, Taka for all these years, you know, been on the outside and out, having a son and, and being concerned about everything, you know, the, the vaccines and everything that you're dealing with, it's a, it's a true ep- epidemic that needs to get out there more and more and more and more. Did you hear this? I was just told a week ago that numbers have increased now one out of every 68 children. Yeah. One in every exactly. 68. Yeah, that's the new CDC numbers. It's really, really scary. And, yeah, if you just have a newborn baby, especially if it's a boy, you're probably, and you've been involved in autism all this time, um, wow. So how are you feeling? Yeah. Are you watching like crazy at every cry? Yeah, yeah, I give it over to God and and, uh, and just thank God that he's healthy every single day. But, I mean, you know, when we go to the doctors and when we get our shots, we're very, very cautious and we read up on it and... Um, my wife's excellent with everything. You know, I, I, I caught up on all the stuff that I know about autism through working with Taka. Taka's been great. They got us all the best doctors out here. Um, so, I mean, the whole hospital experience. It's amazing when we did our hospital visit, all the parents, you know, that were there getting ready to give birth to their child, they, it was like this huge elephant was in the room. And everyone kind of knew the elephant was in the room, but no one, everyone was like petrified that the elephant was going to sit on them and not the other person. <laughs> you know, they're right. like, uh, they, everyone's aware of it, but they're not sure what they're aware of. Yeah, know? that's an interesting thing, Jonathan. I haven't really talked to anyone about that before, but there was a, you know, there's that whole fear of getting your child diagnosed, but now the fear has moved forward in time to where you're afraid of it as you're pregnant and as you're giving birth and as you're... Mm-hmm. So was the the awareness of autism and the possibility with your child in your head the whole time, or were you able to enjoy the pregnancy? Talk to me a little bit about that. Well, one thing, I, I don't live in fear. I know that fear uh, rules some of the things that I do, but um, I'm, I'm a keenly aware individual. I was raised by a police officer, so I feel like I'm I'm always aware of, of my surroundings. Like, no one's going to bump into me. You know what I mean? Nothing's going to bump into me. I'm very keenly aware. So the birthing process, I, I was, uh, filled myself with as much knowledge as I could so that, you know, they wouldn't do something like take the child away. Um, it was, I was just, I felt like a ninja. <laughs> I was right there through the whole thing, making sure no one did anything wrong. <laughs> well, lucky her. Maybe that's maybe that's the upside of all of this stuff. Is that you know maybe the dads will be closer at hand. That's kind of nice. I like that a lot. Yeah, yeah. So that, it was it was actually an amazing experience watching my wife go through labor. And she we got to the hospital. She was fully dilated, and they, we had to we, we had to hold the baby in. Got <laughs> there. Be careful. They did that with me, and apparently I'm a little bit weird. You never know what you're going to create when you hold the baby in. <laughs> the nurse came down there and goes, oh, my God, I can see the child's head. <laughs> I'm like, what? Wow, cool. That's it was, it was so a great odd. experience. But, yeah, you know, people are, are absolutely afraid to think, you know, they don't know what it is. I mean, the whole 
talked about a million times is vaccines. It just seems like the biggest the argument ever when you talk about autism. Um, but there's so much documentation. People I talk to, it's it's clear. Like there's a certain connection to uh, a child that is immune system is weak and then given vaccines. And yeah, you know, it's a, it's an interesting it's an interesting thing to consider. So if you look at it, depends on how you look at the numbers. It's always about your perceptions, right? So you look at the numbers and you go, "Wow, all of these illnesses reduced after vaccines." And you can look at graphs and you can see, "Wow, you know, we brought in this vaccine and boom, the numbers of that problem go down." But you know, so that's very convincing. You can look at another graph and you go, you know, the numbers of autism, boom, they go up and then they start to slide down and then you add human tissue and boom, they go up again and it, it seems to correlate. And so, you know, what happens is it just fuels the fight that, you know, one, one av- group is, is advocating one thing and the other group's advocating the other. And nobody's stepping back and going, well, wait a minute, do we really care if there's measles or do we, you know, you have to stop sometimes and say, what's the big deal? Why do we need this particular vaccine in the first place? That's exactly, yeah. Yeah. That's exactly what we've we've done with the vaccine. So we're not, it's not that we're not vaccinating our son. We're not vaccinating with all the ones at one time. There's so many reasons for people doing that. Number one, it's costing. Um, you know, people don't like to go to the... The government wants to get the children vaccinated because they don't think the, the parents will bring them back. So you don't pull the vaccines into the child at once. You, you, right. Most people don't take the responsibility of doing it because they're supposed to. So the government tries to control all that. There's all these things that people don't really think about. That's, what, what, that's why they were dumping... What, 54 vaccines, it, what, 10 years ago? It was like 15 years ago, like 54 different vac- vaccines in, in, the, in an infant at once? And, and here's the thing. We didn't get 54 illnesses. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and there's, yeah, there's, there's diseases that they're, you know, they, they found um, vaccinations for, which is wonderful, but they're not, and they're not here. You don't have to worry about them. They're not going to be surrounded by them until they're like the age of seven when after they, when you can do the vaccination and when they're five years old. There's all these things that people are like. But you must see some value in, Jonathan, you must see some value in vaccines or you wouldn't be doing them at all. So there in lies the difficulty. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Like I'm going to Mexico and, oh my God, I I don't know what. I'm going to get into down there. I'm doing like um, a little bit about tech, Texas Revolution. So it's called Texas Rising. It's Bill Paxton. I'm going to be on a horse every single day, you know, fight, fighting in the military, kind of cowboy movie. But we'll be in Durango, Mexico. My son will not come to Durango, Mexico. Uh, he's eight, eight months old. Right. So, I mean, it's a, okay. So it's a, it's a real issue and welcome to fatherhood. You now have to make all these decisions that everybody else has to make, not just be involved, uh, with the, the group that helps those who've been smited by it. So, uh, but let's talk about TACA for one more second. So how long have you been involved with them and are you still? I think the first bumper, bumper, bumper uh, magnet that I got was, uh, one in 350. I think that's so, well, when the numbers were like, what was it? I mean, it was like one in 
every 350 kids. So 157, maybe, yeah. That one, 367, yeah, that's the numbers that I have in my, in my, uh, so it's six years. Okay. Five years, yeah. Yeah, okay. so, so the numbers are now 168. It's just, it's, it's the most frightening thing, uh, if you really think about it. Those numbers are outstanding. It's just phenomenal. You didn't want to argue about that, but just, let's, let's just bring this down and let's talk about it. Okay, so you think that's, you have a solution? That, that's great. Let's explore that. We need more people being open about it. Uh, and parents are just scared to death to talk about it. I mean, every time I, they always come to me because they, they, they know that, um, you know, I worked with Taco for all this time, so they ask me about the vaccines, which ones, and all that stuff, and, and what else are the things that cause autism. I'm like, we really don't know. Well, the problem is that it's such a cascade of so many elements that it's it's impossible really to just isolate one thing. So you end up isolating the most obvious things, but there's, you know, carpet cleaner, bug spray, GMOs, um, there's mercury and everything, there's radiation and everything, there's, I mean, where, how are you gonna, you can't even, we're living in a chemical soup that never existed before, so we can't even compare in history and say, oh, you see, historically, it doesn't change as fast or whatever, so it's really, um, there are, there isn't a answer unless you're able to think of the whole picture. And then I think it's clear, actually. I agree um, with you, and that, that's what I... That, it's like they were, they were talking about, you know, the, our planet, we take care of our planet. We need to take care of our people on this planet. We start realizing what, all the stuff that we are putting into to, uh, our carpet cleaners and stuff like that. And not to have a young children around those kind of things. You know, we just had a floor done upstairs, and now, you know, I, I came up walking in the door, he was on the floor. <laughs> What's he doing on the floor? She's like, you're just playing with his toys. I'm like, I don't think you should be on the floor. Because, <laughs> you know, I don't know what they use to seal it. Um, she's like, it's fine. I'm like, are you sure it's fine? I mean, that's the kind of conversation that you have to have about. I think you really got to talk about pretty much everything. Yeah, everything, and then it's an interesting dilemma because, you know, a lot of the, when you look far enough back before it was so toxic in the soil and 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 on our floors and that sort of thing, our children got many of their minerals from throwing everything in their mouth. So they pick up a rock, they stick it in their mouth, they pick it, you know, and that was actually a part of giving them what they needed. But now that comes, just like our food does, it comes covered in stuff that is poisonous. And so now we either have to keep them from this natural sort of evolutionary uh, way of of gathering minerals. We have to keep them from that so that they don't get the toxins or we risk the toxins. And that, I use the putting things from the ground in your mouth as an example, but that, that follows true of our food. It follows true of, of our bedding, of absolutely everything. So it's definitely um, scary and frustrating in that sense because you don't know what to do. So how are you making your choices to decide what you should or shouldn't do with your son? Do your wife and you sit and discuss it? Do you argue? Yeah, we, like we, we we discuss all of it. She's um she's a she's a literary publicist, so she's really uh, like a book smart individual and she's constantly online. 
Um, she's always reading off her little iPhone. But I always think she's like talking to her friends and she reads off that iPhone. <laughs> she just got one of those things, which is another thing that could be causing all these problems for our children. But the, you know, the, the one thing about even even getting the diagnosis that your child has autism, it's not the end of the world. It's the introduction Thank to you. the world of autism. It's, you know, because um, autism, autism, and you very, of course, I'm telling you this because you, you're great at this, but it's treatable. Um, mm-hmm. Especially when these young, when these children are young, God, I went to this school in, um, did I tell you, tell you about this, the school in um, Nashville, Tennessee, Curry, Curry mm-hmm. Ingram? No, he didn't tell me. Yeah, they, it's a very expensive private school, um, but very high-level uh, uh, autism, uh, autistic children on the spectrum were in regular classrooms with, you know, regular children, and they were functioning there. I mean, just functioning perfectly. They had uh, little charts. Uh, the other children were helping them. I mean, they, they were... Really, this school is doing amazing work with with uh, with just not uh, autistic children, with like dyslexic children and all this. Um, so I think that, I think the I think the school system is starting to be able to handle, you know, but the, well, they're getting messages to to learn better how to handle this. But that really, you know? I like the way you said that. Actually, getting a message to learn how to handle more efficiently and better this epidemic because in fact I don't think they're prepared I don't think they know I think they're making men often often making choices that are ill-informed but are running as fast as they can (laughs) to try to figure it out and so you really have to highlight um, people's attempts and efforts and then in addition find those golden schools that are really doing a good job of actually getting somewhere and kind of figuring it out so thank you for for that um, cool. So you are listening to a new spin on Autism Answers. I'm Lynette Louise, otherwise known as the Brain Broad. And today we are just chatting with Jonathan Sheck, the handsome actor extraordinaire, about what it's like to be a new dad having been so surrounded by the world of autism in his uh in his charitable work, and so that's kind of fun. But in addition, coming out of this, I'm going to ask him about the Emmy. He's up for an Emmy. Um, before we get to that, though, don't forget to stay to the very end of the show where I will do stories from the road. And I will answer the question we haven't asked yet. Okay, Jonathan, it is so great to be back with you. So let's talk about the Emmy. <laughs> Well, it's it's um, it's a time of season when people are put up for an Emmy nomination, and um, I was put up for an Emmy um, for my work. I know. I I did. You know, it, it, it's hard. I'm put up against like James Woods in my own show, right on it. You know, Elliot Gould. I mean, these men won Oscars, so I'm honored to even be put up for you know an Emmy. But uh, you know, everyone thinks the work that I I did with the character Sean Walker on the on on uh, Sir Andre Donovan, you know, was out, you know, outstanding work. So they they keep putting me up for him. That's very cool. And do you think it was outstanding work? 
No, I think I just got to work with uh, some great actors, and they brought the best out of me. Um, I get to really play. I tell you one thing, it did. It made me uh, made me love acting again because most of the time, you know, it's not always uh, what it, what I always I've worked as an actor for twenty five years, but sometimes it really is just work. But mm-hmm. then there's times like when you do shows like Ray Donovan, when you're you're just loving you're loving the dialogue, you're loving you know the actors are playing, you know making discoveries. You know, me and John Voight were like two little kids in the store together. We just were having so much fun. I mean, that's really where acting, you know, where, where I was trained. Even in, you know, the saddest moments, you're still just like, you're using your instrument to, you know, the way you're supposed to be to play your instrument as an actor. When you get material like that. So that, that, I, I think that's why. If, if, if I do get a nomination, it's because I work with, you know, Great actors. I was with great, great, great actors, great material. Um, and they even really produced it. They gave us freedom to play, you know, different takes. We do different things. That's so, awesome. Yeah. But they might have brought the outstanding in you out, but it had to be there. So we're still going to pat you on the back and say congratulations on your nomination. That's pretty exciting. Um, describe a scene for people. Give them, come on, let's, let, let's, let's play, you know, voyeur for a second. And we want to know what it, what it was like or what a scene was like or what a moment was like. Tell a little story from the set. Well, I, I, got to, I was a movie star on the, on the show. And the whole, the whole first season of Ray Donovan revolves around something that happened 20 years ago. And John Boyd's character goes to prison for this murder um, that I actually committed. But uh, his son, uh, Ray Donovan, uh, John Blitz, played, played by Lee F. Schreiber, um, pinned it on his father and sent him to prison. So this Ray Donovan starts out with him, come, John Blitz, coming out of prison. And so it centers around that thing that happened 20 years ago. So when he's sick, he's coming after me to you know, get revenge and redemption. And, and I'm at this point, 20 years later, I'm Tom Cruise. I'm mm-hmm. like the richest movie star and, you know, one of the biggest movie stars there is. And, and Ray, Ray can't stop him. can't stop his father from getting to me. So this episode nine is called Road Trip. Um, I'm pitching what the way I, I figured it out was I'm going to give a John Boyd's character a, a movie contract. We're going to make a, a movie about it, about what happened. <laughs> right? <laughs> so I had a... So I'm pitching John Voight the scene, like how it's, it's going out. And I... And when I we get to read it, it was a, I had to make helicopter noise. So I'm... <laughs> I'm looking at John and, you know, we start doing the scene. And so I start taking my finger and I start... Spinning around like the helicopter blades are spinning around, and and I'm trying to I'm telling them the story, and I start going, like helicopter. I'm just looking at me, you know, like what is he gonna do next, you know? And I'm describing, and I'm I'm getting closer to him, and he's just like, I could see it in him. He was like, what are we doing? Oh my God. But he's such a great actor. He just went with it, man. And I put my hand out, and I said, and then I reached my hand out of the helicopter, and 
and he and he just grabbed my hand, grabbed my hand. He said, "That's awesome! That's well, that's, a, that's that's a great way to end the movie." So I was like, and then, then I had a off of his reaction. I had to figure out, okay, that wasn't part of the script. <laughs> I was so excited in the moment. You know, me and me were jumping up and down in the middle of this office. Uh, me and John Boyd, and everyone is on four in stitches. And they didn't even call cut because it was so funny and fun and so outrageous. It was great. It was a great That's movie. That's really great. That's so fun. That's so fun. Yeah. You're going to make a very fun dad then. If you can do helicopter noises and improv a scene, we're good. You're going to be a fantastic play dad. So speaking of play dad, now that we've talked about that, let's go back to um, your son and autism in that you, you wrote a blog uh, talk a little bit about that. Let's give people a sense of what you had to say and what you have to say. Well, I wrote this, wrote this blog because, you know, I've been part of Taco for so long, and I really, I really wanted to acknowledge what my experience is coming from, you know, to, you raising raising a, a baby, uh, dealing through all the, you know, all the things you had to worry about, uh, with, with uh, this epidemic that is, you know, they're out there. Um, so I tried to put, everyone, and everyone would call me, so I wrote a blog. I can't remember what the name of the blog is. It's what the fuck is But it, it was something about, like, a dad, you know, from a dad's perspective or something like that. Mm-hmm. So I just, I just basically went through all the things. I read all this uh, Dr. Sears book on it, and uh, talk recommended a lot of things, and they were very, very helpful uh, in me writing this long blog. And you know, if, if you go to Taco's website, just type in my name, or you can go to, uh, I think, Who Says? I have all this thing called Who Says. Um, you know, I'll tell you what, I'll put, I'll put a link up on the site for it. Yeah, just my Twitter site there, it's at uh, John, J-O-H-N-S-C-H-A-E-C-H. I'll just retweet it if I find it. But yeah, just you know, let's make sure that Camden was is safe, you know, um, and work. And it was, it's, it's, it's just great to talk. I just don't mind talking to you about things. And, and it's, you know, that's one of the things that I brought up. Like we, you're getting in bed. With, you're not going to sleep with your doctor, obviously, but you're basically getting in bed with them because you you. you you're really getting close to them because this is your child, so you should be able to ask questions. If you go to somebody who's not answering your questions or right. who doesn't think you deserve to, you know, have a question, you probably should go to that doctor. You know, and everyone, everyone just needs to realize they're doctors, right? So they did go to school, right? So they mm-hmm. are uh, educated in that area. However, this is a new area that they probably weren't trained in. And so they may be on one side of the sense for their own personal reasons. You know, everyone always say, but, you know, they would argue, but you you gotta listen to the doctor and you think you're better than the doctor. No, I I need to be able to talk to the doctor and let the doctor know what I know. It's common sense. Right. You know? Right. Um, So we, we found great doctors that we have Amazing conversations with you know, and I think they really 
respected what I had to say when I was in there, you know, like talking about, uh, you know, the birthing process or the, the, the stuff they put on the, chi- the child's eyes that, that hasn't, was started in like 1937 or something like that. <laughs> There's no reason for it. I was like, why do you do that? And the doctor goes, you know what? I, 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 I recommend you don't do it because I don't know why we're doing it anymore because it doesn't, it doesn't relate to what's happening in our environment anymore. So that was clever, right? We, that was very clever. That. And that was lovely finding that, uh, that you had a doctor like that. Yeah. Yeah, and that you could have that conversation and he, he didn't just poo-poo you and then go look it up and, in secret. And <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's really awesome. So, okay, so I think I know what my question of the day is. Here's my question. So you're up for an Emmy. You're a brand-new dad. You were involved with Taka, so you've had all this exposure to, you know, families with autism and their struggles and, and you know, the, the struggles of, the, of Taka trying to help the families and, and you know, all of the, the wholeness of it. Um, will you, now that you're being a, becoming a bigger star... <laughs> will you continue to stay involved with charitable things? And, and you had a real passion about education and were really uh, fundamental in some issues back there. So I, my question is, you know, are you now going to just go in with, with the movies and all of that? Or are you done uh, doing the other work? Or do you think that because you have a son that you're going to keep your hand in or what? No, I, I, um, my whole purpose in life is to give back. I'm very blessed to be able to do what I do for a living. You know, I now have the responsibility of, you know, putting my son through school and um, taking care of his family, raising a family. But I think that one thing, as my son grows up, I will teach him about giving back and to learn about, you know, people. People struggle. We all struggle. We all, as my father would say, we all have a different cross to bear. And um, I wish I could be a bigger star so that I could help more, and I would, <laughs> you know. Um, but I did, I did figure this out that just because I was in movies and stuff, I could help. I could bring awareness. I could do something that just someone else couldn't do. That people actually are going to pay attention to something that I might say, and I didn't need to wait to become Brad Pitt to do it. And so, if, if wherever my career takes me, if I get success more success or less success or such a roller coaster ride. I will always continually be that person who knows that I was raised to give back and uh one of the most important things, you know. Is That's just pretty beautiful. To, to those who who are less fortunate. Yeah, that's pretty beautiful, Jonathan. So do you have an older brother? No, I'm just kidding. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> No, that's really beautiful. Um, all right. Well, if if people want to check you out, um, just IMDb, or is there something that you want to give a shout-out to right now because we're at the end of our time and I want to give you a chance to say whatever you want to say. You know, you can follow me on Twitter. I think, I think I've focused more on Twitter than anything now. It's really who say, but I put it on who say, but I don't know my who say uh, address, but I know my Twitter address, and that's at, J-O-H-N-S-C-H-A-E-C-H. And um, Twitter followers, followers, I have, you know, more money I can raise than things that I need to raise for. 
<laughs> and the more we can give back, and that's the way yeah. the world goes around. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Jonathan. I appreciate Thank you taking you. the time. All right. Oh, Have a good pleasure. time in Mexico. Thank you. Wow, lucky us. That was Jonathan Sheck, and he was in the series, Ray Donovan, and yes, he's up for an Emmy, and how exciting is that? But even more exciting, Jonathan, first of all, he's he's so easy for me to get a hold of and, and so willing to talk anytime I can, even when he's as exhausted as he was. <laughs> so he's on his way to go to Mexico, and he is beat, staying up all night with the baby and trying to get out of town. So thank you, thank you, Jonathan, for giving given us your your time, your ear, your voice. And also, thank you for all the years that he has spent. I looked it up. It's actually seven years that he's been uh, volunteering with TACA, and that's pretty cool to have uh, somebody that doesn't have autism in his life go ahead and give of himself to that degree is pretty exciting. And it's nice of him to decide that he wants to stay involved, even though he's about to be really, really busy. And that that is what brings me round to stories from the road. And here is why. So I have this little girl that I work with, and she is absolutely a doll, an absolute and and and, and complete doll, as you know, all children are. Um, and so I go to her house and I'm playing with her and I'm getting to know the family and uh, we're learning about neurofeedback because of course I teach everyone about neurofeedback and uh, I think it is just the most amazing therapy out there and can really change the story and kind of pull it all together regardless of everything else that you do. If you add play, even better. So here I am, I'm doing neurofeedback with this little girl, she's five years old, so we're in the early stages of everything, we can really make a difference. Um, she's got echolalic language, so every time I say something, she says it back, which I really love because it's really funny and can really be the precursor to good language. Most of the kids, that, well, all the kids I've ever met that were echolalic eventually were interactive talkers. So it's kind of an exciting thing to see echolalia as, a, as opposed to mutism or nonverbal. So, um, so here she is, she's, you know, echoing me, and I'm laughing, and we're laughing, and we're playing, and she's running away, and I'm not taking it personal. I'm doing the things that I do. And so I do that for three hours, because that's how it works when I go to visit a family. I go, and I play, and I hang, and I learn with, with the child. I squeeze, and I touch, and I, well, I, you know, I touch, like, feet and heads and hands, and, and I tickle, and I scratch, and I play chase, and I put neural feedback onto their head, and they pull it off, and I put it back on, and they pull it off. And, you know, before you know it, three hours has gone by, and I'm all ready to go and talk to the rest of the family, and she's even said a few interactive things, and I really feel like we've, you know, made a difference. And when I go out to talk to the parents, um, they're nowhere to be found. (laughs) And I end up talking to all of the staff in the house and not the parents. Now, that wasn't the way it was supposed to go, and that wasn't their intention, but they are very, very, very proactive in the world of um, politics when it comes to talking about autism and the way that the political system should change and the way that the educational system should change. And a bunch of stuff had come up and they saw that as super important. And so they told the staff to go ahead and learn from me and that they would then learn from the staff. 
and had taken off to uh, address a big meeting. And I, for all I know, that, that was the meeting of the hour. It was the most important thing ever to, to, to hit the world of autism. But the reason I bring it up is because Jonathan was discussing, or I, I made my question be, you know, now that you've got a, a child, will you continue to involve yourself in the world of autism? Will you stay proactive in that part of the world? And he, you know, said, yes, he wants to give back. And so my word of caution is that, um, you know, sometimes if you're so active in the world, if you're so active in the world's backyard, your backyard gets full of weeds. So this child needs to be the priority, and the world needs to be the priority after the child. It was a question that came up for me when my kids were young. I remember often fighting with schools and and, and doctors and therapists and often loving them. You know, there it's a, it's a really a search and find mission. And um, I I saw a mom being really super active in the newspaper for her child and I was also asked to run a school and create a school and sit on a board and I and I was asked to do speeches and and I did a little of that and I recognized at one point that it was an either or and that I couldn't really teach what I hadn't yet learned and I had to focus on my own kids and maybe duck and weave our way through the system until we had accomplished what we came here to do which was help them feel happy and comfortable in their lives and so that was the choice that I made. It's not the choice everyone needs to make, certainly not, but it is a piece of advice to make sure that the shoemaker's children have shoes. And it's something I'm always checking on myself with because I still travel and, and do all this work, or I do it more than I did certainly ever when my kids were young. But I still have a child at home who's a man-child, but still needy, and um, it's important to get that balance and make sure that you're doing the things that need to be done at home before you take it out into the world. So that would be the first story. This particular story has a happy ending. I got to give that lecture, and um, it didn't fall on deaf ears, and I was, um, I'm proud to say that they restructured quite a bit, and I've learned marvelous things and uh, are getting ready to get proactive politically again because their child is fully integrated. So that is a very cool story that I am very happy about, and I don't think it would have gone that way had the priorities stayed on changing the system before changing the home. So please keep your priorities straight. I think I think it's really, really, really important. Um, but there was one more thing that came to mind when I was talking with Jonathan, and that was that he was talking about the the vaccines and the you know the elephant in the room and being a new dad and that was really why I had him on. I mean, wow, what an exciting and scary and trepidatious time it is now to be going into having a baby. Whether you're having your second and third child and you already have autism in the home and that's why you're you're listening to the show or whether you're having your first child, it's definitely a different playing field than it used to be. So I have had many families ask me, should I have more children when they have an only child and that only child has autism? And of course I can't answer that question. But what I can tell you is that every time 
I've seen them have more children, and when I got more children, it was better for my autistic kids to be surrounded by siblings, this built-in social network that is much more willing to sort of go the distance with you than the kids at school. So I say have at it, have some kids, go for it. But if you've never had a child and, and you're not educated on autism and you're not aware of, you know, what to do or not do for yourself and you just happened across this show, please, 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 as much as possible, clean up your world, clean up your diet, clean up the toxins in the home. Educate yourself, inform yourself, and then forget about it. Because the most poisonous thing you can do is be afraid and stressed. Be informed, make decisions, and then have some babies. Love on them. Whether they're autistic or not, they're a joy to behold. I'm Lynette Louise, your story teacher host, also known as the Brain Broad. Thank you for being here, because without you, I would just be talking to myself. This is a new spin on Autism Answers. Thank you for joining the show today. Lynette is the author of the refreshingly honest and at times hilarious new book, Miracles Are Made, A Real-Life Guide to Autism. You can purchase this and other materials by looking on the webtalkradio.net website and clicking on the covers. You can also click through to her Facebook page and check out any show you may have missed by looking in the archives. We'll see you soon for another edition of a new spin on autism. Answers. Spinning in circles and talking to myself. Spinning in circles and talking to myself. Spinning in circles and talking to myself. I can't hear you.